Thanks for listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. Um, So we've been fielding some questions from our listeners. And before we dive into the, the interview topic today, I wanted to answer a question that we have, which is what is carbon neutrality? Or what does it mean to be carbon neutral? And so, um, some of you may know that I'm also the, the founder of the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance, whose members are committed to going carbon neutral by 2030. So the the actual definition of carbon neutrality is it means that there's annual zero net human caused or influenced CO2 emissions by a certain date. So by definition, carbon neutrality means every ton of human caused CO2 emitted is compensated with an equivalent amount of CO2 removed through things like reducing your carbon footprint, purchasing carbon offsets, or carbon sequestration. So basically in order to achieve carbon neutrality, businesses have to first calculate their carbon footprint. They need to execute strategies to reduce their carbon footprint through things like energy efficiency or renewable energy or supply chain engagement. Um, and then finally, they need to purchase carbon offsets um, with, with, with the balance. So um, that's just a, a question we've been getting asked a lot and thought we'd answer it uh, before we dive in here. But um, all of that is to say that today I am very excited to have Bahio Sunglasses CEO and founder Al Perkinson Um, Bahio Sunglasses is a brand new sunglass brand based out of Florida. Um, They've got some really exciting initiatives going on in terms of uh, sustainable product design, community impact, and and also uh, they are a Fly Fishing Climate Alliance member, so they are committed to going carbon neutral by 2030. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Al, and uh, if you like what you're hearing, um, really helps the show out a lot. If you could give it a rating and review on iTunes, that helps us find new viewers so that we can uh, accomplish our mission of uh, educating and creating more awareness about uh, environmental threats to our fisheries and sharing uh, solutions to those problems. So uh, anyway, thanks and hope you enjoy This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go zero waste and carbon neutral. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. So Al, you know, I, I thought I would I know that you've got a lot going on um, in terms of exciting news um, and with the launch of Bahio sunglasses. And I want to get to that because I think that from what I've learned, y'all have got some amazing um, things going on related to sustainability with the brand. But before we get into that, um, I kind of wanted to dive in to learn a little bit more um you know, how did you wind up getting into the, the, the fishing industry? You know, what, what, what drew you to it? Basically your, your, your background and um, we'll, we'll start there. 
Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, I grew up in North Carolina primarily, and uh, I've had three little brothers, and we spent most of our time, you know, just uh, exploring the creek behind our house. And uh, we would go for miles and miles on that creek. You know, back then it was, uh, you know, I don't think parents were as as worried about kids, you know, something happening. And, you know, we would have bumps and bruises and scrapes and all of that, but nothing major ever happened. But we would, you know, just spend hours and hours chasing frogs and fishing and doing all those things. And so I think probably early on that outdoor life just kind of got in my blood from that. And, you know, we'd make trips down to the coast. My dad wasn't much of a, a fisherman, but he was very accommodating and, you know, would take us down to the pier in South Carolina and North Carolina beaches and we'd fish off the pier. Every now and then he'd spring for a deep sea fishing trip and we'd do that. So, um, you know, it was just sort of part of our life growing up in, in the Carolinas. And um, as I got older, uh, I went off to New York and worked in advertising and, you know, kind of got into more like a corporate situation but my heart was always in the outdoors. And so I got a chance to uh, start working with Costa Sunglasses, which was just a tiny little brand in Florida uh, back around 2000 and uh, really jumped out of the corporate world and then into that and uh, never looked back. And it's, uh, we were able to have so many amazing fishing experiences uh, throughout that. And, um, you know, also able to get into conservation and and seeing the power of, uh, you know, using a for-profit brand to do some not-for-profit work. So that's, uh, and, you know, today we, we love flats fishing. Marguerite and I, um, that's our passion. And so every chance we get, we're in the Bahamas or Belize or Mexico, you know, chasing permits and bones and tarpon and kudas and anything else uh, we can throw out on the flats. Nice. Um, so uh, a, a couple of things, and this is just pure, pure curiosity. Um, and I think we may have discussed this at one point. Um, well, I guess I'll provide a little bit of background. Al and I met uh, officially, I think, uh, about a year ago. Um, and we're just kind of, I, I forget who connected us. Maybe it was uh, Dax over at Groundswell or something. But um, anyway, they just thought, Hey, y'all should, y'all should meet. And we had coffee. And, um, so I can't remember if we, we covered this or not, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my wife is from North Carolina. She's from a, a, a tiny town in Eastern North Carolina called Tarboro. And I don't know if you know Tarboro, but I, I was curious to know where, what part of North Carolina you're from. Yeah, I was, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and okay. then we moved, moved away for a couple of years and moved back to Laurenburg in Eastern North Carolina. Okay. And I, that's where I got turned on to Eastern North Carolina barbecue, which is absolutely <laughs> the best in the world. <laughs> um, in Texas, it's the best in the world. Um, I, I'll have to agree with you. And, and the Eastern North Car Carolinians are, are very proud of the barbecue for, for good reason. Um, but all right. Well, I just was, was curious about that, but you, you mentioned, um, there's a couple of things that I want to cover that you mentioned, but um, the other is <clears throat> using a a, a for-profit brand to, to do conservation work, which I think 
um, in the scheme of outdoor brands and, and, and businesses and things of that nature, I guess you were on the forefront of this is, is what I'm getting at. This was not something that is a lot of, of a lot fewer brands were doing at the time. Um, and I know that with Bahio sunglasses, your, your, your new company, that's really core to, to what y'all are doing. But I just wanted to dive into that a little bit more and talk about, um, you know, what were, what were some of the things that, 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 I guess were eye opening to you when when y'all started when you were at Costa and started to really use your 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 brand for for a positive social or environmental good. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I started my career at Ogilvy and Mather Advertising in New York City, and my client was American Express, and that's actually where cause related marketing was invented. Um, you know, we didn't. We didn't really call it that at the time, but we created a program for American Express where they would give back to local causes, you know, for each dollar of charge volume or each card that was created. And and evidently that was the birthplace of cause marketing to use a really? company for good. Um, and then, you know, I, I, um, I, uh, you know, I guess I've observed uh, Patagonia and, I, I was just a huge fan of Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard and what they were doing. And it was really like a grand experiment. You know, they, they were very open about, we don't know if this is going to work or not, um, but we're going to give it a shot. And, you know, can we use a for-profit business to address some of the issues that our environment faces? And um, so that was very inspiring as I took over uh, at Costa and had to create that brand strategy for Costa, um, and it just struck me as something that that made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, we, I don't know, some people are just, are built different ways, right? So there's different models that can work. I mean, a for-profit, a not-for-profit company, you know, your future and, and your well-being is really based upon um, other people's generosity and whether it's a company or an individual or foundation. And so you're constantly asking people for money and your future is based on whether or not they decide they want to give you that money. Right. I, I I don't, I don't know. I think we're just built to where we would rather have control of our own destiny. And, um, and so we decided to start the HEO really as a way to fund our, our causes and, and our mission. And um, it really is, is a win-win. I mean, when we are high, very passionate and very driven about the causes that we want to support, and therefore we're very passionate about the company being successful. And so we're going to, because that is, that is the entity that's generating the funding for our causes. So you're, you know, what you find in, in cause-based businesses is usually uh, they're, they're more productive, they pay higher salaries, and it's because the people who are working there are just highly motivated uh, emotionally for that business to succeed. You know, you're not working for shareholder value, um, which nobody knows who those people are. Uh, You're working to help a cause, and you know that the better you do, the more you can help. Uh, So that's kind of the thought process and the rationale behind, you know, what 
what we're doing and sort of the general notion of the relationship between for-profit and, and not-for-profit causes. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting um, because I, I've, I've seen that across the board with not only my own business, but but working with with clients and that, you know, when, when you, that's actually one of the, the key and one of the best business cases for sustainability, if you will, is, is attracting and retaining talent um, because you draw to you the people who are passionate about solving the problems that your brand is, is helping to solve. Um, and I thought that you had mentioned some, I'm, I'm curious as to know as, as, what are some of the causes that that Bahio is going to be uh, supporting um, uh, with, with its brand and its success? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, when when Marguerite and I were <clears throat> sitting down and figuring all this out, which was right when COVID started, so we had a lot of time to sit around <laughs> and figure things out uh, in our house in Charleston. And, you know, so we kind of had, at first we had our marketing hats on and we were thinking, okay, you know, cause-based marketing, it's a great marketing strategy. What is our cause going to be? And, you know, how are we going to differentiate our cause from the cause of other companies? You know, cause-based has gotten really popular and you got Tom Shoes and the buy one, get one. You've got 1% for the planet. It seems like everybody's getting engaged. And, and so, um, you know, it's almost like a competitive cause market out there. How are we going to differentiate ourselves? And so we started, you know, playing around with ideas and going down that path. And, and it just felt kind of inauthentic, you know? And so we, we really were looking outwards instead of looking inwards. And so we decided that, Hey, look, what do we care about? You know, and that's just the question that we ask ourselves. And, um, you know, what, what do we want to do with this, with this economic engine that we'll be creating? Um, what are we passionate about? And it was really um, what we concluded. It was about protecting the places we love the most. And then in the process, helping the people that we love the most. Oh. And, um, the places we love the most, once we started going down that path and said, just looked inward, we were like, oh, this is easy. We know what we love. We know what we want to protect and what we want to do. And it was really the saltwater flats of the world, you know, and they're, they're threatened and not a lot's known about them, believe it or not. And it's the place that we've probably had most of our adventures and, and most of our, our fun of, over the years. And then, you know, it's the people are a lot of the indigenous communities. You know, we started Indie Fly Foundation a few years ago to help indigenous people. Um, and those are the people that we feel like they're kind of the underdogs. And we, for whatever reason, sort of relate to the underdog. And, uh, and we just have an affinity for the people that we have met over the years that live in these places. And... Uh, so we, we want to, in this process, help them. And then the other part is young people. And young people are optimistic and they're inspiring and they're energetic and they're searching for purpose, you know? And so if we can help them find that purpose through this whole process, then, you know, that's going to feel really good and really fulfilling. It's going to make us very happy as well. So in a nutshell, that's that's what we've said about 
to do um, with this brand. And uh, so far it's, it's feeling great. And um, you know, we're, you know, we can, can share other details with you. Uh, happy to, if you like, but um, that's the general purpose. Yeah. Um, and I, and I love that. And I think it's really, um, you know, to me in terms of, uh, cause marketing and sustainable business and, and, and responsible business, you know, it's all, it's all relatively, um, the same thing. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is super important is, that you mentioned is, is authenticity, right. And, um, and actually not just having a cause marketing campaign, but our strategy, but actually caring. Um, and I think that what we're all going to see is that obviously it's going to come out from Bahio is, is, is very authentic. And I had, um, cause I know of, of your personal love for, for, for fishing and, and the flats and, um, actually, recently interviewed um, Matt from Indie Fly, which I'll be re- releasing soon on this. So anyone who really wants to get a, a deep dive on the work that Indie Fly does, um, be on the lookout for that episode. It's coming out next. But they do incredible work and it kind of marries what Al's talking about, I think, in that, you know, it's it's protecting those places and people that you love and and using um, fly fishing as a way to, um, to engage those people. And, um, I also think because there's a couple of different directions I, I, I can go with this because I do want to dive into love of flats fishing because we share that. Um, but I also want to perhaps shamelessly plug this, but, um, mention that Bahio is, uh, a member of, a new member of the Fly Fishing Climate Alliance um, and is going to uh, commit to going carbon neutral by 2030. And I know that um, y'all are doing that for, for all the right reasons, but just in case anyone out there is listening, um, when you talk about young people and, and what they care about, I've found through any and all research that, that I can get my hands on, um, you know, they really care about um, climate and the environment. And so um, I guess my point in, in saying all that is um, that if you're not paying attention to this next generation of, um, of, of, of young folks out there, um, you really should be uh, because they're, they're, they're the ones that are going to be dealing with um, the repercussions of, of climate change and, and how it affects the flats and, um, and, and the rest of our, our fish. So just throwing that out there for what it's worth. Well, you know, the flats um, and the flats are what you think of, you know, a bonefish flat in the Bahamas, but the flats are also, you know, you're in Charleston and the marshes and those low, the low country, those low lying areas, uh, those are Bahios as well. And, you know, what they, the role that they play for the oceans is they are the nursery, they're the estuary, there's where, where all the young fish start. And then they grow up to where they're big enough to take care of themselves out into the ocean. And then they, they go off and, and do their thing. And so if you think about it, if, if the estuaries are threatened and if they stop producing the young, then eventually 
there's no more fish in the sea. And uh, so it's, it's pretty much that simple. Whether yep. you're talking a, a coral reef or you're talking a saltwater flat or you're talking a, you know, a, a marsh flat or an estuary, uh, it's the breeding ground of the young. And uh, so it's vitally important. That's kind of goes to the very root of ocean conservation is protecting those areas. And, you know, some of those areas are the most beautiful places in the world. I mean, if you were to ask somebody to describe their version of paradise, they'd probably say palm trees, sand, and beautiful blue water, right? Yep. That's, that's what's in your brain and your DNA is paradise. And so people flock to these places and they, um, they almost love them to death. And so whether it's cruise ships or it's resorts or whatever, you know, they're a bit of a plague on, on these vital, uh, eco, you know, ecological spots. Uh, but it's also a target um, of industry. And a lot of, these fo- a lot of these places are very remote and they don't have strong governments that uh, protect their natural resources. And so they've fallen victim to predatory businesses whether it's mining, uh, forestry, uh, you know, any, any of those types of extractive industries, uh, they've fallen prey to them. And um, so you see a lot of, a lot of environmental damage from those, those types of industries. Um, and, and then, you know, ocean trash is something, you know, we started kick plastic years ago and, you know, ocean trash, if you're at the wrong end of the current, um, you know, like our friends down in Ishkalak, Mexico, where we're doing some work right now, um, you know, you're kind of screwed because uh, you're, you're the repository of everybody else's trash. Um, and you see that in, in places all over. Uh, the, the, you know, result of ocean trash is these small places uh, just have littered beaches and hurts their economy, hurts their self-esteem, you know, hurts their environment. So, um, so there's a long list of issues that these places are facing and, and, um, you know, so our, our goal is to really document where are the flats and then what are the issues that each of these flats is facing and then inspire, uh, young people and, and local people to come together and solve these problems. And, you know, that's kind of, uh, what, what it's all about. So we're, we're starting a program. It's called the Heal Odyssey. It's going to be a round-the-world adventure where we're going to explore the flats and document what's happening there. Uh, do a lot of amazing fishing, and um, and hopefully over in the next five or six years, it'll it'll create a body of work that will help us to um, lay the groundwork for sustainability for the flats for a long long period of time. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and I am super stoked uh, to see that project come to fruition. Um, Bahio Odyssey, that's going to be really cool. Um, I can tell you that, you know, this is, is uh, ha- having lived in, in the low country and that's where, <clears throat> where I'm based out of. And um, some of the stuff that we see here are one, obviously tons of ocean plastic that you mentioned, right? It's like, it's in it, it, but it's, I was talking with uh, Andrew Wonderly from Charleston Waterkeeper and 
he was like, it's kind of Charleston's dirty hidden, hidden secret because it's, or the low countries because of our pluff mud. It's like it washes into the marsh and gets buried and it's everywhere. So um, I love that Bahio is uh, working to, to address that on, on flats all over the place, um, which I've also seen that, but <clears throat> some of the other things that, you know, I, I just am mentioning just from my personal experience is that, you know, we're also seeing um, record numbers of days where Charleston's flooding um, due to sea level rise that's also something that is really obviously top of mind with, with everything that, that I'm involved with. And um, I love that Bahio is also at the forefront of, of tackling these, these threats and challenges um, and providing solutions, right? Cause at the end of the day um, you know, we're all responsible for, for protecting what we love. And um, I just think it's, I just commend y'all cause I know that this, this, I'm just excited to see where it goes because this brand's getting off on the correct foot. So it's uh, it's it's exciting to to see how it all unfolds. Well, it should be fun. I mean, we're we're looking forward to. It. We've already started. You know, our first stop is Ishkalak, Mexico, and you know we've identified all the issues there and have already started to you know to address some of those issues with the local community and with some of some of our young ambassadors and so forth and um and so we'll we'll hit probably you know three or four spots a year and make some fun films and some photography do some great fishing and then you know at the same time uh, you know because that's what people people really love the, the the adventure of it um but at the same time you know, talk about some of the issues that they face and, but in a positive way, that is really about these things are fixable. You know, these aren't, I mean, we get so inundated with problems and uh, what we need to, to have is some hope. And so I hope that we can strike a, a hopeful chord and, uh, you know, while pointing out some of these issues and really say that, Hey, it's in our hands to fix them. And, and, um, and we can fix them and, and they're not, they're not just these giant problems that are, that are unfixable. Um, so anyway, that's, that's going to be, I think, part of our, part of our message as we go forward. Yeah, that's, and, and couldn't agree more with that. I mean, someone who lives in this world, you know, you get beat over the head enough times with some of this doom and gloom and it's, it's, it, it, it's not, um, very inspiring. So, um, always good to focus on solutions and, um, really stoked to, to see how all these projects turn out. Um, but we've been sitting here talking about, um, a lot of, what I think is interesting conversation in terms of cost marketing, sustainable business, the launch of Bahio. We talked about loving the flats, but we haven't actually talked any fishing yet, um, which, <laughs> would, <laughs> which would be criminal. Um, so some of the things that, that I have found, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, um, to travel a little bit and, and fish in some places. Um, and you mentioned earlier, you know, hey, people, when they say paradise, it probably involves some blue water and palm trees. And um, my experience has found that 
if there are bonefish there, you are in the right place. Those are typically where if you're if bonefish are around, you are near paradise. Um, so so those are bonefish are are pretty near and dear to to my heart. I'm, I've I've never caught a permit. Um, I go to the Everglades every year and fish with some buddies and do some tarpon fishing, um, which I love. But for, there's just something about bonefish that. Uh, Maybe it's the stalk and, I, you know, wait. And I enjoy waiting, too, because we do a lot of that in Charleston. Uh, but wanted to, to hear a little bit more about some of your maybe favorite species to target on the flats and, and why. Yeah, you know, we um, – I, I do think it's a lot about the hunt, you know, which makes the flats fishing so much fun. And we love to wade fish – also, you just, you know, lots of places you can do it barefooted and you can just feel the sand and you feel so connected to everything. Uh, and, and, you know, those fish, I love, love trout and love bass and everything else. But when a bonefish or a permit or a tarpon hits, man, they explode and they haul ass. Yep. And it is so much, it's so exciting, you know, they're drilling. Um, and it's not not always that easy. The winds can can be pretty brutal, and you know the tides. There's so many factors to to consider. Um, you know, I, I think over the years we've gotten a little bit addicted to permit fishing, and we go down and fish the permit tournaments a lot. And um, you know, when we went down to Ishkalak recently, we uh, you know it's a big permit spot, and so we. We go in with sort of blinders on and permit fishing gets so addictive that you're like, that's all you can think about. So you go to places and that's all you see. That's all you think about. Well, when we went down to Ishkalak, um, you know, we noticed that there were so many different species of fish down there. And we said, you know what, let's not just focus so much on permit. Let's, let's just cast at whatever comes along. So we started catching bonefish and we started catching tarpon and barracuda and triggerfish and jacks and we're like oh my gosh you know it's everything is here this place is unbelievable and um and I think the lesson we took away was you know don't get so so much tunnel vision on like one species but just be open to what's what's there that day, what's coming down the flat. And, um, you know, always keep two or three rods rigged in the, in the boat and, uh, and just have some fun You know, don't, don't make it a job. Just go in with the attitude of let's catch some fish and let's have some fun. Yeah. And so it's making, it's making our experiences a lot more rewarding these days. Yeah. I've, I've found that, you know, we, we've done that in the Everglades, particularly, um, when there's been a, a few times where we've had a difficult time finding um, some murky water and things like that. And we're, you know, just had to remind ourselves like, man, we're down here. Like, look how amazing this place is. We're so lucky to be here. Um, let's just go see if we can catch some fish and have some fun. And we, we've, you know, as a result of that, have run into triple tail and, you know, just all sorts of stuff that you weren't really down there to even think about, uh, but you found and just made it 
so much more fun than because we have had those trips where we were like tarpon or bust and we went bust you know and you're kind of like well that was fun but you know i can't believe we didn't land a tarpon um and then you kind of walk away like oh that wasn't that great of a trip but anyway the point is i think that's that's the best attitude to have like man let's just go down there have some fun see if we can land a few fish and as you know you, you wind up having a much better experience, I think. Yeah. Um, so what are you, you, you've targeted or you're, you're kind of uh, mentioned that you're, you're a little obsessed with permit. Where are some of the uh, places that you enjoy uh, permit fishing the most? Well, I think, I think we'd have to say that Southern Belize um with, uh, you know, we used to go to this place called Blue Horizon Lodge and Lincoln Westby is, uh, I don't know, Lincoln's probably 85 years old at this point. Uh, Garifuna, um, Indian, he's kind of like the unofficial chief of the whole tribe down in Hopkins. And he and his wife built this place years ago. Um, it was a, a key that's probably eight or nine miles off the coast of Hopkins. And they got, I think they counted 40,000 sandbags to put onto this mangrove uh, island to build it up. And they didn't, they didn't take it off the flats. They took it out of the river, you know, the sand. Uh, they didn't want to destroy the flats. But, you know, Lincoln knew that this part of Southern Belize with the pancake flats was the best permit fishing in Belize and maybe in the world. And so he and his wife, one sandbag at a time, built up this uh, little island, it's probably an acre. And then they built these uh, pretty primitive uh, huts on sticks, on stilts, and created the Blue Horizon Lodge. So we started going there and it's it's primitive, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's glorified. Glorified camping, but, um, you know, Lincoln and his knowledge and wisdom that he has is about the flats, the life that he's lived. Um, it's just been amazing. And, and then just going out and fishing those flats all day, every day, snorkeling all around there. It's, it was just fantastic. And um, he's, in the last few years, sold Blue Horizon. They've come in and sort of revamped it. So it's uh I think it just opened, reopened last spring. So we're anxious to get, get back there. But uh, Southern Belize, I think, has got to be our favorite spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I went down there once a few years ago, but I'm itching to, to, to get back. Um, it's just, you know, it's, every, it's everything on the list, right? It's palm trees, blue water, great fishing. Um, what's, what's not to like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the pancake flats are amazing, you know, because the tides come up and once they get to a certain level, it allows you know, the pancake, it's a flat, but then it just drops off to deep water. And so that's why they call it the pancake flat. And so the permit are hanging out down in the deep water. And then when the tide gets high enough, they come up on the flat out of the deep water and start eating the little crabs. And so you have to, you know, understand the tides. You have to understand, um, you know, the currents and what's happening uh, to know when 
they're going to be there and where they're going to be. And I remember taking my son down there one time uh, to fish and he goes, okay, dad, I get it now. I see how this whole thing works together. Um, and you can just see it all unfold at this place. And uh, so those pancake flats, I think, are what makes it special. There's probably like over a hundred of them down there. So you just kind of go from flat to flat and Lincoln and, and his guys, I swear they have named every permit. They, they know them almost by name, you know, <laughs> and they know that area um, like the back of their hand. So it's a uh, pretty cool, pretty cool spot. Well, and too, I mean, to kind of bring this kind of full circle, you mentioned fishing with your son and the launch of Bahio and this kind of wanting to um, see this next generation of anglers come up and, um, protect the resource and get involved with Bahio Odyssey and, and, and how they're affecting the flats. And I think that that's so important when, you know, it's, it's to, to, to get this next generation, um, involved so that they understand what is, what they're at risk of losing. Um, <clears throat> because it's, a it's, you know, these ecosystems are fragile, um, whether it's, you know, I mean, they can take a beating, they're resilient, but at certain, at a certain point you do kind of reach a, a tipping point, which is what we're all trying to work to protect and save. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if you maybe, what, what would a message be, um, that you might have for some of these young anglers out there that are interested in flats fishing and, and want to, uh, learn more, um, about how to how to protect it yeah well you know i I think what it's really the the gateway to it is um you know is getting out there and doing it and it's you know flats fishing can be kind of difficult i mean right now if you want to travel to flats fish then you know you're looking at a pretty steep bill from a lodge you know maybe it's uh you know three or four or five grand a week a young person can't really afford that and um so we're actually working on some ways to make uh, international fly fishing trips affordable for young people but then you know enticing them to try and to to do it is really a big part of what our role is so creating the films creating you know, the buzz on, on social, the photography, uh, you know, that, that really says, Hey man, this is a place uh, that's worthy of exploring. This is a place where you can kind of find yourself and find your passion and your mission in life. Uh, you know, like, like no other, it's a place where you can have great fishing adventures. It's a place where you can connect with local cultures and sort of, you know, get rid of that artificial wall that exists between resorts and the local communities, between cruise ships and local communities. Um, you know, these are, these are real people and, you know, get out and, uh, you know, through fly fishing, you, you can meet them and connect with them and understand their stories and then get involved in a community of people who want to roll up their sleeves and, and make something happen. I mean, you can plant coral reef, you know, you can, um, you can clean up trash, you can tag fish. There's really concrete ways to get involved uh, to help protect the flats. And 
I think those are all things that young people are looking for, you know, these days. Um, and I also think there's kind of like a bigger, a bigger thing that, you know, this, this generation, you know, I mentioned cruising the creeks behind my house when I was a kid and, you know, kind of leaving in the morning and coming home for dinner when mom is, is, you know, calling our names out the back door. That, that has not happened in this last generation. We've been so overprotective of our kids that, you know, it's sort of taken away a lot of the adventure and exploration. And the only way that you can find like what you're really passionate about is to explore. And uh, so, so really just having the conversation that is um, get out there and figure out who you are, what you love, what you love to do, what you're passionate about, and then go for it, man. Don't, don't feel like you have to be doing some, you know, job that you hate just to make money so that you can be safe. Uh, take some chances, take some risks, get out there and explore. And you may find something that will change your life, you know? Um, well, I don't think that we could pick a better message to, to wrap on than that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, that was inspiring for me. You're, ma- you're making me want to rethink my emerger strategies, but, uh, <laughs> no, um, but I, uh, I did want to say, so Bahia sunglasses is launching soon where are folks going to be able to pick up a pair where can they learn more um where how 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 can we point them in the right direction well we'll be launching our website uh, late march early april uh, bahiasunglasses.com and then we'll be sold at specialty retail primarily Um, not uh not really working with big box quite yet and and you know we love we love the intimacy of working with the, the smaller guys the bait and tackle shops and sunglass shop so, uh, you know the southeast will probably be where we take golf first but we have a nationwide sales force and we uh are opening opening shops across the country right now so we'll be coming to a fly shop near you very soon <laughs> That's awesome. Um, And yeah, so um, one other thing that I'll mention too that you'll be able to find um, uh, amidst all of all the cool stuff that Bahia is doing um, is look for them. Um, They're going to be working on going carbon neutral. It's just another feather in their cap um, for building up. a great brand and, and company and business that's values driven. Um, but just be on the lookout for that um, and pick up a pair, support them so that they can uh, support all these amazing causes that um, they'd like to use their business as a, as a tool to do that. Um, so Al, I appreciate your, your time and uh, always great catching up with you and super stoked to see uh, Bahia launch and wish y'all all the best. Thank you, Rick. It's been great being on and great chatting with you. I, I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. All right.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Angler Podcast. Uh, special thanks to Al Perkinson from Bahio Sunglasses. Uh, if you want to find out more about them, check them out at BahioSunglasses.com. Also, if you like what you're hearing, uh, would really help the show out a lot. If you could leave us a rating and review, give us a follow. Uh, we're available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks and have a great day.